Well, good morning, everyone. I ask you if you will, as you've joined together with us, maybe in your homes, maybe together with your family, uh, hopefully you're warm and cozy. I ask you if you will to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Uh, while this, of course, is not ideal, I want to thank our staff here and everyone at uh, Taylor's First for making this possible. Um, I remember back uh, in my early years as a pastor when you canceled church, that was just it. And surely you had fun. We wanted to be able to play in the snow or even the ice because we took whatever we could get. But at the same time, that lasted about 30 minutes and you go out, you play, you have your fun, you get too cold, you come back in. Hopefully you are already at that point and you and your family have gathered together this morning around God's word, already hearing from our worship team, singing and praising the Lord. I want to thank Mason who has put all this together so that even though we have canceled church, we're able to be together virtually uh, and look to God's word. We want to stay on schedule. Last week, we began our sermon series, Spiritual Habits, and we introduced that series as an importance for us, an emphasis for us in our church this year to, to consider how each one of us as church members, as followers of Jesus, are spending our lives and our rhythms of our life, putting uh, God's word at the heart of it, prayer at the, at the very center, and worship every day, God, how we make these things rhythms in our life. And so uh, we want to continue in that series. And even though we may not be able to meet together on our campus this morning, we are meeting together to look to God's word in this way. And we're thankful for this opportunity. As I said, I ask you to turn uh, to John's chapter 17 and considering um, these spiritual habits and considering the idea that we discussed last week of how we pursue after holiness and, and seek to grow in maturity as followers of Jesus, we talked about these three spiritual habits of scripture intake, prayer, and worship. And this morning, I want to consider the first of these, scripture intake. To do this, uh, I've asked you to turn to one of the most glorious passages in, in, in the New Testament. Now, I say that often. I, I make a joke sometimes to say, turn your Bibles to my favorite chapter, one of my favorite chapters. And so, meaning all of them are one of my favorite chapters. But let me say that John 17 has been a continual place of comfort for me as a believer ever since the day the Lord called me to himself. And, and really, in, since that day, especially the Lord called me into his ministry, John 17 has been just a continual source of comfort. The context here is quite important to understand. This John 17 is Jesus's last night with his disciples. They've gathered together in this upper room to take this Passover meal. And remember, this would be the time. This is the night that when they gather together, Jesus begins by washing their feet. Remember, Peter, don't wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you're not going to be clean. And, and, and Peter says, wash me from head to toe then. And, and you remember, and Jesus gives that example of how he serves them by washing their feet. And, and then as soon after that, in John, if you kind of go back, that's all the way to back to John chapter 13. But 
Soon after that, you see where Jesus says that one of them will betray him, speaking of Judas, and he, he leaves to do these things. And then Jesus starts to teach that night. And John, being there personally in his presence as a, as a disciple, considers this evening so important that he gives some five chapters, if you will, in his, in his gospel to this evening. And so he speaks of that and the new commandment. I want you to love one another. He, he tells Peter that night that, that you're going to betray me, Peter, even though you, says, you say, wash me head to toe. In the end, you're going to betray me. He, he says the famous words of, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Um, I am the true vine. He gives those statements to them that we know and we cherish from the Lord. He, he tells of the coming of the Holy Spirit and teaches about what the Holy Spirit will do for them, and how the Holy Spirit will encourage them and strengthen them. The helper will come to them. And he ends it with, your sorrow will turn to joy. Now, throughout that whole time, he's kind of been preparing them for his death. And I, I think even the disciples are not quite sure what's about to happen, but they know something important is about to happen. And he's preparing them for his death. He's preparing them for what they're about to face in the next day, in the next several days. And he tells them, even the Holy Spirit's coming and it's better for me to go and do what I'm about to do. You can't follow me. I'm going to do something that only I can do, but I'm doing it for you. And the Holy Spirit's coming to strengthen you and encourage you. So he gives this incredible teaching and you can see the intensity of it building. Your sorrow that you will face will turn to joy. And he ends it by saying, for I have overcome the world. This is incredible. Jesus there teaching with his, with his disciples and he's saying, I, I, your sorrow will turn to joy. I've overcome the world. What a heavy night. What a heavy night. The theme had been in their time together as they, uh, as they knew it, it was, their time together was over. The next day was going to be hard, but in the end it was going to be better. And the climax of their time together that evening comes in chapter 17. Jesus prays for his disciples. And that's, it, it, he builds all these teachings up. He, he tells them what's about to happen. He washes their feet, all of these things, and then he prays for them. Man, I love that idea. I remember when a pastor told me one time, you need to know that Jesus prays for you. His intercessory work. Jesus prays for his disciples here. And Jesus prays for them at this point. And that's what John 17 is. He is praying for his disciples. The entire chapter here. Jesus, the great high priest, interceding on behalf of his people. So, as we think about that, of course, what Jesus prays is vitally important. And what I want to focus on this morning is one simple verse of that prayer. While we could spend literally uh, months walking through this entire chapter and just mining from it the diamonds and the gold that has, has stacked up as Jesus prays for us, I want us to consider one simple verse, and that is verse 17. John 17, 17. And John 17, 17 says... Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. I want us to pray together now. Father, help us as we consider this text. 
as we consider this, Father, help us to consider it in such a way that it would shape us and mold us, that it would guide us and, 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 and make us into the image of Christ. Help us to think about the fact that Jesus prays for us and what he prays for us is of vital importance. And so, God, may we be strengthened and encouraged by it. And may your word, your word become more and more precious to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I begin here, I want to begin here with an important definition. Now, I truly believe that we must stay away from the elite vocabulary, right? Uh, I remember growing up, me and my friends would oftentimes come up with words that only we knew and we would say them in different ways, kind of creating our own language. And we enjoyed doing that just simply because it was fun and nobody else understood it. Well, sometimes we as Christians have kind of our own language and, and those that are outside of our tradition that we may be trying to reach with the gospel can't understand what we're even talking about because we speak in a language that's, that's foreign to them. And I'm sure that's, that, that's true in many ways from some of these words, maybe even for some of us in the church. But at the same time, it's important for us not to just say, we don't use those words, we don't understand them, we cast them aside. They are important. And they're used in the scriptures. And one of the words I want us to understand and maybe even define and help us with here is this word, which is sanctification. Sanctification. It's a long word. I've always said big words get you AIDS and impresses people. Sanctification. Sanctification is a word that's used in the scriptures quite frequently. So it's a word that we shouldn't be pushing aside or setting aside. It's a word that we need. It's a word that we need to understand. Paul writing in Romans chapter uh, 6 verse 19, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, which leads to sanctification. He writes, uh, Peter writes to the exiles who are in the sanctification of the spirit. Or 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul writes again, for this is the will of God. This is important now. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, that you abstain from sexual morality, that, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. So what is it that is sanctification? Sanctification is the will of God for your life. So many people are looking for God's will for their life. Well, the scriptures say it very clearly. This is the will of God for you, your sanctification, your sanctification. And so it's important then, obviously, if that's what God's will is for me, my sanctification, then I need to know, I need to know what that means. And if I consider it even far, take it even step even further, for this is God's will for you, your sanctification, then Jesus prays in that moment where he prays for his disciples, he says, sanctify them, Father. And so if Jesus is praying that we'll be sanctified and Paul is saying in his a letter to the Thessalonians, God's will for you is your sanctification, then by all means, we need to know what it means to be sanctified and what is sanctification. And that's important for us then as we step into this idea. Sanctification comes to us to help define it. It comes to us in two ways. The first way it comes to us is positionally. Sanctification comes to us 
positionally. What that means is when we are saved by God, when we are saved by Christ and our heart is changed and, and we're brought into his family, adopted into his family, and we, as the scripture says, we are now in Christ Jesus. It speaks of our position. We are in Christ. There's a word here that, that we use oftentimes that's important, and that's the word saint. Saint is not set aside for a special elite group of Christians in the Bible. Saint is not set, set aside for a special uh, uh, people that have done particularly special things in scriptures. In fact, the Bible says that all of us who have been redeemed by Jesus are now in Christ and we are saints in him. That means, that word saint means we are set apart. We are in Christ positionally. We are set apart. We are saints. So if you're a child of God today, you have been set apart, which is the same word meaning, saint, sanctification. They go together. You are set apart as belonging to God. You are in Christ. You are his. You are set apart for his glory in redemption. You are positionally in Jesus. You are a saint set apart for him. But then also, Sanctification has that positional part where you are already a saint set apart for Christ, but it also is progressive. It's positional and progressive at the same time. Though we are set apart, we are not where we finally and ultimately need to be. We must grow in our holiness. We must grow in our faith. We must grow into maturity, as the scripture says. Pass on from that, that, that spiritual elemental milk of the word and move to the meat, as Hebrew says. We must grow in this maturity and seek after, pursue after holiness. So while we have been set apart positionally, we are not ultimately and finally where we need to be in our life until finally we are with Christ. So in that meantime of having been saved to the time we go to be with our Savior, we are to be growing progressively in the faith, maturing, if you will, maturing, in, if you will, growing in grace progressively moving forward. Scripture say it like this, we're to be molded and shaped into the image of the Son. So while we have been set apart in Christ, we are also to now grow into Christ, growing in grace. This is why we see so many different believers who some, all, all are saved, all are saints in God's eyes, all have been set apart, but some are at different places of maturity in their life. And so I this is one of the things I love about a healthy church that is multi-generational, like even ours, to where we see not only the children of the faith that are growing and learning the knowledge and those who are coming to faith and and, and at every step of the way, all the way to those saints who have, who have advanced in years and in knowledge, they are all growing together. So the beautiful image here is that in the body of Christ, you have those who are at every stage of growing in grace and faith. And we encourage one another, strengthen one another, and build one another up. So all of us are progressively growing until the day God calls us home. This is what sanctification is. We don't stay stagnant. We have been set apart, but we remain. We continue to grow and mature in the faith and mature in the things that God would have us to know. Now, in, in some ways, I just, just quickly, just to say, there's, there's other big words we talk about 
But sanctification is important and, and separate from them, like justification. Justification is a legal term that speaks of our position before God. We are no longer guilty. God is the one who justifies us. We, we cannot justify ourselves. That's God's work. He sets us apart and he makes us righteous before himself, his, the judge. And so in justification, that is God's work. He does it and it speaks of our legal position before him. In sanctification, we are saved, set apart by God, and then God through his spirit works in us and through us. We do not have a part of justification. That is God's work. We do have a part of sanctification. God working through the spirit in us and through us so that we begin to grow in that faith. We must take the word and preach it. We must uh, take the word and read it. We must pursue after righteousness. We must grow in maturity. We must do all of these things in absolute dependence upon the Lord, but it is also us being called to do something, to do something. And so sanctification is God working through his spirit in us, within us, growing us in grace as we come up, come with him, him leading, growing, and we come with him doing the things he has designed for us to do, just like we talked about last week, doing the things he has designed for us to do to grow in knowledge of him, to grow in that knowledge. And what is that very heart of that growth then? If we need to be growing in grace, maturing in those things, just as we, we've heard our whole life as we mature in our, in our physical nature. If you're going to mature and you're going to mature healthy, you got to have a balanced diet. You got to eat your vegetables. You got to do all these things that sustain you and grow you. You got to exercise. You got to do those things. What is it for us? And if we're going to grow in faith, what is it that we must do? And at the very heart of what we must do, the very primary sustenance we have is not the meat and vegetables of, uh, that, that we eat. It is the word of God. The word of God is our sustenance. If we're going to grow in sanctification and maturity, then the word of God is what God uses us to sustain us and give us this growth and give us this Strength. That's why, again, the Hebrews author says the, you must pass on from the milk and get to the meat of the word. What grows you, what sustains you, what builds you up. So Jesus is asking the Father to grow and shape his people. When he prays this in John 17, Father, grow and shape them, sustain them, encourage them, rebuke them and strengthen them, comfort them and edify them. And all of that, when he says to sanctify them, all of that is encompassed. And Jesus is saying that comes from the word. If you want to be encouraged, it comes from the word. If you want to be sustained, it comes from the word. If you need to be rebuked even and, and shaped and molded and strengthened and comforted and ed or edified, all of that comes from the word. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. And so the word becomes central. If we're going to grow and pursue in holiness, grow in maturity, the word becomes absolutely necessary, central for us to grow in this grace. Central for us. I mean, vital. We can't, we can't continue. It'd be like us not eating and thinking we can become healthier and stronger. It'd be like us in our daily daily life, not, not doing anything, but just sitting there, not eating, not exercising, not doing anything, and think we're going to be okay and think we're going to have more vitality and more health. It's nonsense for us. 
The word is what strengthens us as believers. And for us to ignore the word as Jesus is saying, to be sanctified, God's will for you is your sanctification. In order to be sanctified, you must be sanctified in the truth. And God's word is true. So in order for us to pursue holiness and to achieve that sanctification that God has called and prayed for us to achieve, then we must be in the word. And why is the word the place to go? Simply because God's word is true. God's word is true. It's what Jesus says. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. It's unqualified for Christ. This is it. God's word is truth. God's word is truth. The Bible has clear contrasts in it. When we read through the Bible, you see good and evil. In in, in our world today, so often lines are blurred and we act like there's so many gray areas. But but God's word does not define those gray areas. in, In many ways, we need to recognize they don't exist. It's either right or it's wrong. It's either good or it's evil. It's either darkness or it is light. God's word defines things in this contrast. It's either truth or it is lies. And when you think about that, even John's gospel over in John chapter 8, John makes it very clear to the Pharisees that he's talking to in John chapter 8 that, that, that the devil is the one who brings the lies into play. He says, uh, speaking of the devil, the devil in John chapter 8 verse 44, he, he, he goes down and says, when he lies, uh, let's see, let's make sure I get it right. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. So here's what he's saying. There's opposition. There is truth and there are lies. And the devil is the father of those lies. This is what he says. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. The devil is the father of lies. And so you see this contrast that God is truth. His word is true. The devil is the father of lies. And so we see that there is a contrast in what is true and what is not true. It goes back to the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And how did he do it? The Lord spoke and it came into being. His word spoke and he created it. God has established not only all of creation, but establishing all of creation. He's the very beginning of all of these things. He has established what truth is. By by saying in the beginning, God created, therefore God has established what is true. And not only has he established what is true, he's established what is reality. All reality comes back to who God is. This is the very base point of it. So we understand that all truth has been established by God. Now, this is the very point of scripture when you see that many people get taken off into lies. It happens in Genesis chapter three. In Genesis three, you see Adam and Eve, Satan comes in, the father of all lies, as John eight says. And he lies and he, he, he deceives them about what truth is and twists their understanding of it and goes away from God's truth. And they follow after him, which causes great harm to them. And not only to them, to all of us, but that continues even today. It didn't just stop with Adam and Eve. As we saw last week in in 1 Timothy 4 in our passage, as Paul was trying to encourage Timothy on what to teach, he reminds him that many will be taken off into lies. They will depart from their faith through the insincerity of liars. And so there is truth out there and there are lies out there. So how do we ground all this? It must be grounded in God's word. This means that we must be devoted to the truth. We must be devoted to the truth. And God's word is truth. That's what Jesus says in John 17. God's word is 
truth. Our Bibles that we have today are God's word for us. God has not left us guessing. He's not left us with uh, wondering what his word is. He has given us his word. And what we have before us are three words that we use to understand it. God's word is inspired. As 2 Timothy uh, 3.16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God. And though it is written by human authors through their personalities and characteristics, the spirit works through them in such a way that every word they wrote down is God's word. And so God's word is given to us through the scriptures. It is inspired by God. It is God's very words. But not only that, because it's inspired by God, it is inerrant without any mixture of error, our Baptist faith and message says. In other words, no place you turn to does it speak in error. It uses language, it uses different genres, it uses different forms, but in every way it speaks truth in every place. If the moment we think that God's word is in error at any point, then it could be in error at, at, at all points. But for us, we recognize because it's inspired by God, it is without error. And because it's without error, it is infallible. Inspired, inerrant, and infallible. And what that means is that it will never lead us astray. In anything we look to, it points us to God and leads us in the truth. God's word is inspired by God, inerrant without any error, or any mixture of error, and infallible. It never leads us astray. Therefore, it is completely trustworthy. It's completely trustworthy. Jesus says, your word is truth. In other words, your word is trustworthy, God for all of the believers, for anyone who looks to it. Which brings us to the second thing. God's word is true. God's word is sufficient. These two things go together. Since God's word is true and trustworthy, it is sufficient for us in all that we need, in everything we need, in trusting him, in obeying him, in salvation. We put it like this. God's word has everything we need for life and for salvation. In life, it's all that we need to know to trust him and obey him. In salvation, it's all that we need to know to have eternal life and have our sins forgiven and be with him forever. God's word has everything we need to know for life and salvation. The scriptures then, for our very life, because they are sufficient, the scriptures are the very foundation upon which we build our lives. This is how we know right and wrong. This is how we know what is true and what is error. This is how we determine where the lies are and what they are. It must go with God's word. This is how we know what is faithful here, what is faithful and true versus what are lies and deceit. This God's word is how we determine these things. It's, a, it's sufficient for us to know what abundant life is. We don't want to add to it or take away from it. It is enough. We don't need anything else. That's why at the end of the book of Revelation, as John is writing, he says, please do not add to or take away from. Every word in this is necessary because every word in this is all that we need. God's word is sufficient because God's word is enough for us. We need not look any place. You don't need a new prophet to come in. We don't need another revelation. This is it. This is what we have. This is sufficient. It's enough. The scriptures are all not only the foundation upon which we build our lives, but they're also the authority upon which we put ourselves under. The foundation and the, the covering, if you will, the ceiling. We put ourselves, not only build our lives upon it, we put ourselves under God's word to correct our paths and our life. That 2 Timothy 3, 16 passage is so important here. 
And I, I want to turn there just to read it because it keeps going into chapter four. He says, as Paul is writing to Timothy, he says uh, here, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In other words, it's enough. It's sufficient. It's all that we need. It's breathed out by God and everything we need to be righteous and complete in God's eyes. Think of that sanctification process that we are looking to be completed. We're looking to, to be molded and shaped into the image of Christ, to be brought to perfection or completion in the glory that is to come when we go and be with him. So all that we need there is in God's word. But he goes on. Because God's word is sufficient and enough, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. In other words, Paul is saying God's word is sufficient. You need not look anywhere else. So in light of that, preach it, proclaim it, preach the word. And why do we preach the word? We preach the word so others may live by the word. We preach the word so others may be guided by the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people, listen to what he says, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. In other words, they'll, they'll buy into lies. They'll look to other places. They'll look to other teachers outside of God's word. But God's word is enough. They will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths, lies. God's word is enough. And people seek to run from it. And why do they run from it? Because it has authority over our life. And, and they don't like that authority sometimes. They buy into the lies of the devil, believing that, that there's something greater out there, something better. But God's word is enough. God's word is sufficient. And so Paul encourages Timothy, preach the word. It is true. It will do what it says it will do. It will save those who, who hear it and believe it. It will carve those and shape those into the image of Christ who, who take it and practice it. It is enough. It's enough. What God desires, what God desires for us is expressly told to us in his word. God has not hidden something from us. God has not kept a little piece back. He has told us everything we need to know. He hides nothing. And nothing will be required of us that has not already been told of us. Wouldn't we hate that? Don't we, don't we despise that whenever we think we're doing what's right, but those who make the rules, who set the standards and everything, hold back a little bit. So at the end, they tell you, well, it didn't work because you didn't do this. And they change the game, if you will. That's not how God works. God told, has told us everything in his word we need to know. And he has hidden nothing from us. He's hidden nothing from us. But all that we need for life and salvation is here. God's word is sufficient. God's word is enough. God's word is true. It is trustworthy, sufficient, and enough. And Jesus says then, sanctify them in this truth. This true word, this sufficient word, sanctify them in this, which brings me to how I want to close. God's word must be used by God's people. In other words, if this is so important that sanctification is God's will for us and how we're sanctified is through his word, which is true, then we can't neglect his word. 
We can't set it aside. We can't just think that it'll come to us through osmosis, if you will. We can't just think that or, or even depend on others just to, to tell it. We, we can't neglect this. God's will for us is our sanctification. We are to be sanctified in the truth and God's word is the truth. Therefore, we must know God's word and we must use God's word and we must dive into God's word. If we're going to grow in grace and knowledge of him, if we are seeking after sanctification that will that will bring us to completion and so that we will see him one day and without that, without that holiness, no one will see him, then we must use God's word. Spiritual habits that we're talking about. Spiritual habits in our life must include the spiritual habits that we have must include the regular daily intake of God's word into our lives. If we are going to grow in grace, if we're going to pursue after sanctification, which is God's will for us, then God's word must daily, daily be a part of our lives. I'm thankful. I mentioned last week of the book uh, by David Mathis, Habits of Grace, been very foundational in this, even for me, been a, been a help. He uses these two ways, and I like what he says. He says, we take God's word by raking and by mining, like using a rake and just kind of straightening up things on the ground. That's the breadth of it. We take it in by raking, but we also take it in by mining, the breadth and the depth. Here, what we are trying to provide for you as a church and our resources is we're trying to provide both of those things. Through our resources page, what you'll find are there are Bible reading plans there that will suit your needs. Many of them are different. Don't think it just started on January 1st and it's already too late. You can start them today and there, there are plans to read through the New Testament available. There's plans to read through the whole Bible available. There's plans in any way that can shape and be used by you that'll help you develop these spiritual habits. We are wanting to provide those for you to help you get into the word, the raking of the word. In that sense, you must read it for its breath. You must sit down with it daily. Many people use Bible apps to have the Bible even read to us and driving. However it is, you must have a regular daily intake breadth of God's word, of God's word. I jokingly say that when we get to heaven, you better read all of God's word because you don't want to meet the prophet Habakkuk and have him ask you, did you read my book? And you say, mm, I can't remember. You don't want that. This doesn't make sense for us. This is God's word. We want to be able to read it and know it. And so we read it for its breadth. We rake it. We rake it in. But also not only for its breadth, we must read it for its depth. While the raking may straighten and give us a cool and great understanding of God's word, we also want to mine God's word. That raking is good for us, but it will never get us those great and glorious diamonds of truth, that gold that you can find by mining deep down in God's word. We be cleaned it up by raking and learning it and pulling it in, but we also want to mine it to get the diamonds, those precious jewels of God's word that strengthen us and encourage us like nothing else. We have the daily reading plans for its breadth. We also have what we have here at uh, Taylor's First is our E3 method of understanding and studying the scriptures. It's a great method, a, a method. And many people say sometimes this seems too hard, but I've never seen it. all of God's work of mining his word is going to be work for us. We must get into it, must do it, but it is so rewarding. And the reward drives us to want it more and do it more. 
And so through our E3 method, which we use in our life groups, in all of our ministries here, it'll help you learn how to mine God's word for yourself and find those precious truths that'll strengthen you in every day, in every day. Developing the spiritual habit is vital for you to pursue after the Lord, to find holiness, to pursue after him and to grow in sanctification. That truth of God's word must daily come into your life through raking and through mining as we seek to grow in this truth and grace. I want to close here with Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 is a passage that I'm turning to of husbands and wives. And as Paul is talking to the husbands, he quickly shifts and talks about how Christ loves his church. That's us. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he, look at verse 26, if you're looking on Ephesians 5, verse 26, that he might sanctify her. There's that word again, that he may sanctify his church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Love that picture. What God is doing through Jesus Christ, his son, is he is saving his church, but not only saving him, he is cleansing and washing. And how is he washing us? Through the water of his word. The word of God is that water, that cleansing power that washes away the dirt and the filth of sin and shame. It washes it away and cleanses us and cleans us up. And what it says here is that he's washing us with the water of the word so that he may present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. So for us, the daily washing, just as hopefully, by all means, all of you, and today's a snow day, I get it. You may not have showered yet, but hopefully by all means we regularly bathe to cleanse us and wash us and keep us clean into this world. Also, what scripture says is that we must regularly bathe in God's word to cleanse us and wash us daily, to cleanse us and wash us with the water of the word so that we may be presented to God spotless and without wrinkle or blemish. Jesus prays for his disciples, sanctify them in truth. And your word is truth. And if God's will for us is our sanctification, as Paul says, then by all means, by all means, we must look to God's truth, his word. And we must daily take it in. Let me encourage you in this. Our resources page is available. Today's a good day as you're at home, maybe even, and sitting there to look over and, and think of a fam as a family how you can read through God's word regularly for God's glory so that we may be washed in the water of it. Develop that habit. Develop that habit for our good. For our good. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, which is true. May we all, may we all be found faithful in diving into your word and washing in the water of it. For your glory, we ask these things. Give us a love for your word, Lord. In Jesus, we pray.